All right. Well, let's dive in this morning. We are, we have, we have stepped out of, uh, just real quick, I'm Steve Hambrick, lead pastor here at Vintage. If you're a first time guest, Hello, it's nice to meet you. Glad that you are here. If you're joining us online, hey, 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 it's good to see you guys. Now, we are uh, we are basically post-resurrection, and so I'm a guy who I've always loved history. In fact, even for a hot minute at University of Georgia, I was a history major because I just love history so much. And so I love trying to find Jesus in history just on an everyday basis. What I mean by that is like, especially when I get around holidays, like the, the big ones, Christmas and Easter, I love to think, I wonder where Jesus is today in history. So when you get to Christmas, you're like, where was he five days before Christmas? Where was he Christmas? And where was he post-Christmas, right? In Easter, that's where we are. We're post-resurrection, right? I, think, I love thinking about where was Jesus the week before? Where was he day of? And now seven days out from the resurrection, I wonder where Jesus is and what he is doing, right? It's day seven out of the 40 days between his resurrection and his supernatural ascension into heaven, whatever that looked like, right? And in that 40 days and somewhere like around day seven post-resurrection, Jesus is having these moments with his disciples, these beautiful and powerful moments, right? We have a story of Jesus somewhere along the way revealing himself to the disciples and like showing up on the road to Emmaus, going to their house with them. You remember he all of a sudden breaks. They have no idea who he is until he breaks bread. He breaks bread and immediately their eyes are open. Like, oh my gosh, wasn't our heart so warmed and strangely warmed, right? We have, we have Jesus revealing himself to his disciples, men and women. We have that moment where he shows up one day and Thomas isn't there. Then you get that beautiful story of Thomas or Thomas not believing. And I got to see it for myself. And Jesus expresses this a compassionate love for him, not frustrated with him, just says, yeah, I would love to show you my hands and my feet. Thomas, right? Just a beautiful act of love from, from Jesus. We know that the very first person who saw Jesus was Mary Magdalene, right? It was just a beautiful and powerful moment. In this, in this place, these powerful stories of Jesus' love for his disciples. During the 40 days, the primary thing that Jesus did, according to chapter 1 of Acts, is he just sat down and he taught his disciples. Like he trained them. He And he prepared them, I would say he prepared them for his leaving. We just read in John 14, a time is coming when I'll no longer be with you and you're going to miss me. He spends these 40 days saying, this is a great time, but I want to teach you. I want to talk about the kingdom of God. I want to train you. I want to develop you. And I want to prepare you. I want to prepare you. Because obviously an in-person Jesus feels very different than a not-in-person Jesus, and he wants to prepare him. His primary preparation is what I see as the greatest inheritance. If you're taking notes, I would just love you to write down greatest inheritance or inheritance. What we see is his primary preparation, we're going to look at this in a second, is the greatest inheritance that Jesus left behind when he ascended into heaven. All of us understand the idea of inheritance. How many have ever said, 
I don't really want someone to die, but if they did, I sure would love to get a really big inheritance, right? Like we all have those moments when life is not going well. Financially, things are a little bit tight, paycheck to paycheck. And we're like, oh, God, if there's just some random like uncle out there, God, who could leave me an inheritance, right? That would be phenomenal, right? Those are kind of like the dreams we live by. We think about life. You're like, again, it's this inheritance. It's a powerful thing. Inheritance by nature can be a very important empowering thing. Think about, right, you're, you have a, a family member who loves you greatly and they've prepared for their leaving. And so when they pass, they pass on great finances or just enough to really get you over the edge. And you are feeling empowered in the moment, going from paycheck to paycheck to having some breathing room at least, or maybe to even some higher level and you feel empowered in life. Or those who don't, don't have a house and they inherit a home, all of a sudden they go from being homeless in a sense to now having a home that's empowering. Or maybe someone just leaves a, maybe it's a family member who, man, you felt a little bit estranged with or didn't really know how they felt and they leave you, it's like an, the inheritance they leave you is a video just to say, I love you, I'm for you, and I am proud of you, and now you feel empowered, right? The idea of what people leave behind for us, it can be physical things, it can be anything, but those things, not all the time, but a lot of the times, they have this empowering nature behind them. These things that are unique, and and when you engage them, embrace them, receive them, it just causes life to be birthed inside of you. And one of his teachings that he comes to in Acts, and Luke is writing this. So you have Luke who wrote Luke, and then Luke 2 is the, is the book of Acts, right? And so you have just the life of Jesus and then the life of the apostles. Luke wrote both of them. And so in the first five or six verses, we actually get here in chapter 8. He comes and Jesus says, he says, and when I leave, you will receive power. You will receive power. It's one of his teachings. It's one of his primary teachings. This is the inheritance. He says, when I leave, I'm going to leave you with my power. Somewhere in the process of the 40 days, Jesus is teaching them. He tells them to wait for Jerusalem. He tells them to wait for the inheritance. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit who will give them power for life. Listen, I believe, like many theologians, Pannenberg, if you know that name, being the primary one, that the gospel is only complete when you add the empowerment of God's Spirit to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right? There's this peace, right? And everything that he did, I believe, must have culminated in his followers then being empowered to live the life he was calling them to every day. It's their inheritance, the death of Jesus to the resurrection of Jesus, then to the sending of his power so that we could then be Jesus. It would be unfair of Jesus to call us to something that he did not empower us with his spirit to do. It's part of the good news. It's just part of the gospel, in my opinion. It's powerful. It is our inheritance. It's what's left behind for us. So their inheritance, our inheritance, his power, and then the subsequent empowering of your life and my life to be the hands and feet of Jesus every day, everywhere that we go. And it's going to be our focus for the next six to eight weeks. We'll just see how it goes. It'll be 10 weeks. We'll see, right? 
Inheritance is a powerful thing. We're going to give ourselves to diving into. And over the upcoming weeks, we'll talk about the inheritance of our power, the good news of our empowerment. Talk about our role in it and our responsibilities with it. I believe each of us will be reminded of things we already know, learn things that we've never known. And my hope that in the same way the empowerment of the disciples changed the world forever, my hope is that as we become awakened to maybe aware in a new way and step into that, it will change the life that we are living, the people around us, hopefully forever. That's the goal. Jesus did say, I walk with a big Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a little Holy Spirit so you can do just a little bit of things. That's not what he did. He gave us his same spirit, the same spirit that empowered Jesus to do his miracles, right? To do express powers, the same Holy Spirit inside of us. And so with this, we're going to dive into it. But here's the thing before we take the journey. Before we dive in, before we start getting all excited about the power of God, I, I want to shift our conversation to a foundational question that I see as an imperative starting point for our upcoming conversation about the power of God. And the question is this. You can put it on the screen for me. It says this. It's this. What do you believe about God? It's just a starting point. It's a starting point. What do you believe about God? It's important because what you believe or don't believe about God will color the next six to eight weeks of Sunday mornings for you. I mean, here's the thing, just super practical. If you don't believe in God, then you probably don't believe in power. You don't believe in the supernatural, meaning power from God seems silly at best and maybe even dangerous to you. And this will then feel like a very weird and possibly ridiculous six to eight weeks for you if you don't believe. It's just a reality, just stating truth. Or if you believe in a God other than the Christian God, you might find this interesting or even inspiring, but it probably won't have much value in your life. But if you believe, like probably most of us do in this room because we're here, if we believe in or at least really lean towards the belief in a Christian God, at the risk of overstating and, and, and overselling, these next eight weeks could be absolutely transformative for you, for us, but more importantly, could be transformative to the people who were in your life, who were in need of the power of God being manifest in their life. Like, I don't know about you, but I would love for the power of God's spirit to move with evangelism. And everywhere I go, I'm able to say the name Jesus and people just fall on their face and give their life to Christ. Right. Like, I don't know about you. That'd be be really fun. I would find a lot of joy and fun in that. Right. I would love to get up on Sunday mornings and say, man, I was talking to this guy. He hated me for the first 30 seconds. And then I said the name Jesus. And I don't know what happened. But it was like power flew from me. Right. And he just like fell in his face. Right. That'd be beautiful. Right. That's not really dramatic. But that'd be fun. Right. He doesn't have to fall in his face. You can just say, yeah. Right. I don't know. But it's like it'd just be great. We'd love to see the power of God move. I'd love to see it happen. I'd love to see it happen in your life. So in this, it could be transformative. In the gospel, 
of John, the word belief or belief, uh, believe is used over 70 times. No other, no other writer uses it more. It's like over, it's almost half of the times the words used in the New Testament is honestly used by John in the Gospel of John. The Greek word that he uses on the screen, just so you can have it, is pistuo, means to have a belief grounded in confidence and trust. To have a belief grounded and confidence and trust. And so belief can be mental assent. I believe in, I believe something is true, and that's not the word here. The word pistuo is, yes, I have a mental assent, and I have a life conviction that this thing, this person, is something I have confidence, trust, and faith in. I'm willing to lean on this person or thing with all of my weight, believing it can hold me up, it can carry me, and it can lead me. That's the idea of pistuo. Not just mental assent, but it's the idea where we get this word faith and belief. This idea of confidence, this idea of trust, this idea of not just saying, yes, I believe in Jesus, but my belief leads me to confidence and trust and faith and surrender because I know that he's bigger, better, smarter, and understands life better than I do. Pistuo, this idea of belief. So what do you mental assent to God in, right? What, what's your mental assent towards God? But more importantly, what is your pastua? Where is your level of confidence and faith and trust as a lifestyle every single moment towards God? Pastua. It's the word that John used in ever familiar John 3.16, right? Believe in Jesus and you will have eternal life. I don't know if you know this or not. I didn't count all of them up, but I just pull out some of them. Do you know that John, Jesus, you, John, like Jesus used and John wrote down the exact same phrase, believe and you will have eternal life in chapter 336, 524, 640, 647, and 1125 through 26, just to name a few. Right? Belief for John in Jesus was foundational to his understanding of how you receive eternal life. In fact, at one point, I should have written this down, I apologize, but you can go find it. I think it's in John 14, but someone says, what is the work that we are to do for God? What is the work that we're to do? What, what do we do for God? And Jesus says, just believe. Just believe. That's the work that you give yourself to. Pastuo, just have faith and confidence and trust that Jesus has the power to do all things. Like when we say, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, it's not, listen, this is important. I'm not asking, do you have some sort of mental assent and in my head, oh yeah, yeah, I believe. No, that I'm so willing to literally lean myself into Jesus that if for some reason he pulled back, I would fall down, right? Because I lean in so much, I trust and have confidence and belief that he is God, that he is Lord, that he actually is not on the cross, resurrected, and he never died again and he is now everything that he said he was. God, this is super important. Let me just say this very clearly. If Jesus was raised from the dead, I believe it means that everything he said about himself is true and accurate. And he claimed to be one with God. He claimed to be God. That's crazy talk, unless it's true. And he was raised from the dead. And we have to wrestle with that because 
it is a, listen, it is factual. You can't deny that Jesus was an actual human being that lived. It's, it's, an, it's very fact, it's factual that Jesus died. But it's also factual, go read it for yourself and study it, that the resurrection actually happened. You can't deny it. The only ones who deny it are those who've never studied it. Give yourself to it. Study it and learn and recognize Jesus was raised from the dead. So that means for me, my gosh, he's the only person who's ever raised from the dead and never died again. doesn't make any sense to me. Only God could do that. So I guess that he is. And if he is, then I should probably trust him more than I trust myself. Because if I die, I won't be raised from the dead because I'm not God. So all I'm getting at is there has to be this journey of understanding for yourself. Like give yourself to it. Don't say, well, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. Why? Have you never given yourself to actually study? Please do. For the love of what could be right in your life. Because here's the point. Why do you want this so much, Steve? Because your inheritance for those who believe is unbelievable. You win the lottery every day of your life. Right? That's the beauty of this the idea of who God is. Listen, I love it in the Old Testament. They use the word, it's a different word, but same meaning about faith and trust. And, and in it, literally... They ascribe righteousness, right standing to Abraham because of his belief. I love it. It says in Abraham, it says it multiple times. Abraham believed God, similar to Pastuo, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. All it means, he believed God in the Old Testament, leaned into him, had faith, trusted, and God said, you now are right standing with me simply by belief. Faith, not mental assent. But life surrender, powerful, Old Testament, New Testament belief defined by confident trust in faith and surrender to God is required of our relationship with him. So Jesus speaks to his disciples about Pestua, about belief in John 14. Look at it in a second. But this chapter, this chapter as you read through, and I actually read part of it this morning, is so important on so many levels because Jesus, Jesus in it speaks to his own divinity speaks to his own divinity of being God, of being one with the Father and the Father in him, right? He speaks again to being one with the Father. Jesus speaks to the love. I love that it's a beautiful chapter because he has such compassion, sensitivity, and tenderness towards his disciples. He's just told them in chapter 3, I'm no longer going to be with you, and they freak out, right? What do you mean? You're going somewhere? We can't live with that. Don't, guys, don't worry. Let's just talk about it. He has tenderness and compassion and love for them. In the moment, it's beautiful. It says, I, where, I, listen, where I'm going, you'll be with me forever. Don't worry. I'm going to send another in my place, an exact replica of myself is what that means in Greek. To be Jesus to the Holy Spirit who can speak to you and be with you and lead and guide. Right? It was beautiful and powerful. He tells the disciples that in seeing him, they have seen the Father. Now, when that happens, when Jesus says it, go back and read it yourself. It's really cool. Thomas, I love him. He's just able to speak his mind. Do you like people who speak their mind because you're thinking it and you're afraid to say it, right? Thomas is that guy. I love him. Thank you, Thomas, right? Thomas is one of those guys, and he comes and he goes, oh, okay, okay. Well, then show us the Father, (laughs) right? If the Father's in you and you're in the Father, then you can just show him. You can show him to us, right? And Jesus probably, like, gave that, like, grin, not like, oh, my gosh, Thomas being Thomas. Look at me, a little flabbergasted. I have no idea. Comes in the moment and says, show us the Father. 
do, and this is, a, this is verse 10, it's on the screen for me, I think, maybe not, I can't remember. It says, do you not believe, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This is John 14. The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. This is really important. I would encourage you to go back and read John 14 this week. So see that word works in verse 10. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father. Believe me the Father's in me, or else at least believe on the account of the works themselves. Then he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, pastuo in me, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he that he or she do, because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Lot to chew on. I mean, here's my, here's my question for y'all, just real quick. Theologically and historically for you, do you believe that? Do you? Right? Like, it's a question you have to ask yourself. When Jesus, because here's the thing, Jesus has just said, the Father, God does his works through me. Guys, the works, he says, and and if you don't believe in things I'm saying, at least believe in the works that I'm doing, the Father's doing through me. What are the works? It's all the things, the miracles and the crazy things. Like, if you can't believe the words, at least believe in what you've seen, because only a God, only God could do those things. It's the miracles. It's the prophetic stuff. It's the healing. It's all the crazy things. It's the works, right? It's like you call it supernatural, and Jesus just calls it natural life. Right? This is natural life, guys. This is how I live my life. This is how the Father lives his life. Just doing natural things of coming to those who are in sick or in need. and blah, blah, blah. Like, this is what he does. And he comes and says, listen, you'll do even greater works than these. Chew on that for a hot minute. What does that even mean? Come back in a few weeks and you'll find out. No, we'll talk about those things, right? Jesus names clearly the power of belief. Belief leads us to eternal life, personal salvation from, from sickness, death, and hell, right? It's like he conquers death in our lives. We'll spend eternity within. There's no fear for us in death any longer because of our salvation from it. Belief is the action they take to be empowered to do the works of Jesus. Belief was necessary. You will receive power. What's the work that I need to do, the work of God to receive this just believe. Pursue mental ascent that then leans into with great confidence and trust and faith and conviction with every part of my life that God is God. He lives in me in the person of Jesus, through the person of the Holy Spirit. And now the same works that the God did through Jesus, Jesus now does through me. This is crazy. We're empowered. Does he do, listen, give you a little foretaste. Does he do these things? So that you can make a name for yourself and sell holy towels that have been dipped in your water that you poured on? No. He humbly says, humble yourself and do these works because they're dying and they need me. You're empowered for those who are in need, not for yourself. Power of belief. Hear this. I think this is on the screen. I live with the conviction 
Yes, there it is. My conviction. I live with the conviction that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us and tells us who we are and how we live life. Your belief in God will determine everything about you, determines everything about me. Listen, I am one who believes, right? As one who believes in God, I'm going to throw out this. Some, I just said, I'm just going to do stream of consciousness on what my belief means for me. This is not everything. It was just stream of consciousness in the moment. This is it. It's not on the screen, so you just get to listen. As one who believes in God's expressed in the life of Jesus, I believe there is a power greater than ourselves moving, shaping, and giving definition to all of life. I believe God is actually Actively involved in every area of life, shaping our circumstances, looking to intervene, and actively loving and caring for his creation, and he's present with us at all times. I believe he always empowers those whom he calls, and I believe God has called each of us to live for him and love those who don't know him. I believe he has empowered us to be Jesus to the world, to do the things that he did like he did them. I believe that God is perfect. I believe he's kind. I believe he's loving. I believe he's separate and holy than, but I believe he's fun, and I believe he's an enjoyable father. This is what comes to mind when I think about what I believe in God. It's not complete. I have lots of room for growth. I have mental ascent to all of those and leaning into some of them and others I'm growing into greater confidence in, but it's what I lean into with my beliefs. So I say to you personally, this is on the screen. I want you to see it. I believe what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you and tells you who you are and how you live life. So which begs the question, What do you really believe about God? What do you really believe in him? Is it just a mental ascent? Is there some level of festuo? Or are you fully devoted, leaning that if he moves, you fall? Listen, I'll just give you a little foretaste. Just because we have faith doesn't mean everything goes right. We live in a fallen world and all hell breaks loose all the time. It just does. A.W. Tozer once says on the screen, he's much smarter than me, so I'll just quote him. This is from his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. It's a mandatory read if you've never read it. Our real idea of God may lie buried under the rubbish of conventional religious notions. It may require an intelligent and vigorous search before it is finally unearthed and exposed for what it is. Only after an ordeal, only after, after an ordeal of painful self-probing will we likely discover what we actually believe about God. What's he saying? Super simple. You've grown up in church, a lot of you. When someone asks you what you believe about God, you just get from rote memory some creed or something your pastor told you years ago and something that you just say. And I would look back and say, do you really believe that? What do you mean? Do you pursue it? That's a weird word. What do you mean? Do you lean into it with a life conviction that you would be literally willing to die for it because it's so true to you? And he's saying you have to do an honest search of your life and see where your belief is. What do you believe about God? How committed are you to your beliefs? What limitations do you put on God? Do you believe God with your lips and with your mouth or, and then, or, and then fight and rely on yourself to get things done? People who have control issues by nature make a God of self because they can make things happen in their own strength but then lean into and trust God. It's just a reality we have to be honest with. 
how do you live every day of your life of trusting and believing God and having faith that he'll make things happen that you can't do in your own strength? Many times God will not let you succeed because he wants you to remember, remember you're not God. Your lack of success is God's gift to you to say, if you want success, then lean into me, have trust in me and believe me so that I can be the reason that you name success, not because of working hard. I'm just saying you have to be honest about what you believe. Believe, faith, confidence and trust is the foundation for a healthy relationship with Jesus. Press pause. Let me say it again. Your belief, your faith, your confidence, your trust in Jesus, it's the foundation for a healthy relationship with Jesus. In fact, it's actually the way to have relationship. Our belief, that's pasuo, is the foundation received for receiving our inheritance of salvation. And the verse I read earlier, John 14, makes it clear that belief is the foundation for receiving our inheritance of power and life empowerment. I would encourage you again to focus this week on this John 14, looking specifically at the verses surrounding verse 12. Meditate on them. Ask God for grace to to step more into them, to be honest about where you are. I think some of us are actually afraid to be honest about where we are with our belief because we don't want to feel bad about ourselves. And God says, no, it'd be better to be in a bad place and honest than a bad place and not honest because if you're actually honest, then you can take a step forward and I'll help you. I can't wait to come and move in you. He's so excited about your honesty. He's so excited. Listen. John 14, 12. I'm just going to read it because I love it. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes pursue in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he or she do because I am going to the Father. I love to meditate on this verse. When I sit back and go, I'm not successful in life. I'm not really making much of a difference. I, my life doesn't really have impact. I sit down and go, that's just not true. Because God's spirit has already empowered me. I'm living faithful. And God, I just ask you to put me in an environment to do your works because I am empowered by your spirit. As a response this morning, I'll be done in three minutes. And Bobby, you can come back up in three minutes. But so I get to point number two. That's when you're more looking to come up. Okay, man. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> you can't really talk beforehand. It's super important communication, man. That's why our marriage is so great. All right, because I communicate so well. I'm just kidding. All right. So as a response this morning, no, we did communicate well. So as a response this morning, I do want to remind you there's an unbelievable inheritance of God's power and our personal empowerment this morning. It's available for those who pursue, who believe, who lean into with confidence. And again, we'll go more into depth in these upcoming weeks. But I'm just asking this morning to start off with some level of honesty. By being honest about where you are, it's a starting point. Every journey has a starting point. Let's just have a starting point with being your honesty about where you are, about what you believe. I want you to think about it this week. I want you to pray about it. Be honest about it. Talk to someone you can have an honest conversation with about it. And then when you land on where you are, tell somebody. Tell somebody, right? So they can pray for more of Jesus, God's grace in you, and to help you take the next step, right? So here are the three options of where you could be. You can just go ahead and put them on the screen for me. This is really, really super simple. The first step you could be on is I just don't believe. 
Right? Just don't believe. So that's a great place. Everybody be honest. Just be honest. I don't believe. I don't, I don't believe mentalists sent Jesus. I don't pastuo that either, Jesus either. And that's a great thing, right? It's a great place to be honest. I, from that place, I simply want to invite you. I want to invite you to believe because I'm confident. I'm confident that you're missing out on the greatest inheritance available in all of life. I just don't want you to miss it. And so if you don't believe, I'd love to have a conversation with you and just talk through that and see why. And my goal is not to change your mind. My goal is just to introduce you to what I believe so you can process it and then let God's spirit talk to you if he's actually real. Okay, I think he is. Number two, I believe there's a place I believe, but I believe I believe, uh, but right. They just in this moment, I, my favorite human moment of scripture is when the father of the sick child says, Heal my son if you can. And Jesus, again, a little shocked, says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who pursues. And the father cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. Right? And I'm like, I love this guy. Oh, my gosh. He's literally seemingly stating what I feel like my life is all the time. I believe, but I have doubt. Oh, God, thank you for this guy, because I love it. What did Jesus then do? Jesus didn't correct him. Jesus didn't rebuke him. Jesus didn't walk away. Jesus said, let me heal your son. <laughs> right? It was beautiful. I love the child. I believe, but, right? I love that moment. So if that's where you are, great. Thank you for being honest. Jesus is super grateful for your honesty, and he says to you, I would love to move you to that next level of moving from the but to the belief, right? It's great. And the third piece may be, I believe. I believe. Absolutely, I believe, right? I love this place of belief, and this is what I would say for you in that place. You're like, Steve, I'm believing him. I'm, le- I'm so leaning into him. I feel like both of my, barely my tiptoes are on the ground. I'm leaning so hard into him with my faith and my trust and my confidence in him. Here's what I'd say to you. Remain humble. Remain humble. Pride comes before a fall. Don't look at anybody else and say, oh, you should believe like I do. Don't do that. Right? Don't talk negatively about people who are struggling. I just want to hang out with people who think like I do. have the same level of faith that I do. We're the faith people. No, man. Don't be like that. Our faith leads us to a humility because the only reason you're able to believe is because he's empowered you to believe. So you didn't do it in the first place. He did it through you. It's the nature of his grace. He gives you the ability to lean into and understand him and trust him. So if you're in the place of belief, then here's the invitation. Just start doing the works of Jesus. Start walking in the unbelievable confidence that you were loved by a perfect heavenly father who is for you and who, when you start leaning towards sin, will convict you of your sin and say, that's not the way to walk. That will kill you, son, daughter. Walk back over here and then start doing the works of Jesus, praying for people, loving on people, sacrificing yourself for them. Do what Jesus did. He literally laid down his life so that others could have life. That's what it's about, my friends. So if you're in a place of belief, thank you, Jesus. With that, you have an inheritance. We're going to talk about it, the power of God, but I believe it begins with belief. And and so for us, before we dive in, let's just be honest about where you are with your pistuo. 
about where you are with your belief and faith and confidence and trust and say, God, where I have belief, but I'm asking for grace to help me move into a greater level of confidence because I do want to be Jesus to people around me. Let's pray. Father, you are good and kind and perfect and holy, and we are so grateful for you. Jesus, we ask this morning that uh, you would meet us, that you would speak to us, God. God, I pray this morning, Lord, that where we have that alternative voice that is screaming loudly, the what's and what the, the but, whatever. God, I pray today that you would quiet every voice that's opposed to the truth of Jesus and those whom you love. And God, you would give them ears to hear you this morning. I believe, God, that our belief, it's the work that we do to know you and to do the things that you did. And so we invite you, just invite you to speak and move in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. In response this morning, we'll have ministry teams available on both sides. If you're new at Vintage, we just have people just like you and me who struggle with the same things that we struggle with. And they just love to pray for people. We see it happen all the time in Scripture, people praying for people. And when we're in prayer, we believe for we believe for God's movement so that God can bring breakthroughs, whatever you're carrying today, with whatever weight, whether it's physical, mental, spiritual, whatever it is today that you are asking God for, we'd love to pray with you about it and to pray for you. We have communion available every single Sunday. Communion is our remembrance and celebration and engagement of the grace, the gift of God that was poured out through Jesus, his life and his death. And we, as we take it, it's not just we can look back in history, but we take communion as we break the body and we eat the bread and we drink the juice representing his blood. It's as if it comes alive again and we are aware that Jesus' life, death, resurrection is available for us for salvation today. For everything going on in our life. So come and take communion if you would like. And in a few minutes I will come back up and I will close this out. And until then, so come and respond and just worship this morning.